Good morning, everybody. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Ruth, and we are in our third chapter of the book of Ruth, and I, I hesitate even calling it a book. It's more like just a great redemption story, and uh, I know we talk about the books of the Bible. Ruth is one that is unique in a lot of ways. Uh, bringing you up to speed a little bit in case you haven't been with us. <clears throat> I do encourage you to go back and listen to previous weeks, but let me just give you a little bit of an update to bring you up to speed to where we are. Uh, Ruth is not just about Ruth. Uh, the main characters in Ruth are Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. But the true main character who's only mentioned uh, throughout it by the characters, you don't see the activity of God in the same way you do in others, or God speaking in some way like you do in a lot of Old Testament books. But the main character of it all is God and his providential working in and through the people of the story. And uh, it's much like our lives, really, because we try to do what we believe God has called us to do. We try to obey him. We try to live in this great, what the the Old Testament refers to as, uh, in the Hebrew, is chesed, which means that we try to live in God's love and mercy and kindness. He's great mercy and kindness towards us. And that's what these characters do in the book. And so if you don't know the story, just briefly, you have this woman named Naomi who's married to Elimelech. And they go with their sons over to a place called Moab because the city they're in, Bethlehem, which is the city of bread, is without bread. And so they leave to go get full in the place of Moab which is a uh, place you shouldn't go if you're an Israelite. It's an enemy of Israel. But they go there, and Limelech leads his family to a place he probably shouldn't have gone. It's during the ages of the judges. If you want to go back and get the context for this whole story, it's in the time of the judges. It says that right at the beginning. And if you want to read some stuff that's just downward spiraling of the nation of Israel, you'll be shocked by a lot of things in that book. Go back and read that for fun this week and uh, get the, the foundation. But then we see them as they're over in Moab that the boys get married. They get married to Orpah and to Ruth. And then Naomi loses her husband. He dies. Her two sons die. And after a long time there, she then hears that the famine has gone away in Bethlehem. The city of bread is now a place where bread has come back. And so she journeys to go back there. And when she arrives, she meets all these folks she hasn't seen in a decade And when she's there, she tells them that I left full, but I've come back empty. And on the way back, her daughters are going with her, and she encourages them to go back. In fact, I want to read this verse for us, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1. This is what she says to them. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. Listen to this. May the Lord deal kindly, that's that chesed word, may the Lord show his great mercy and love and grace to you. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And Orpah went back. But Naomi said this really crazy statement. She said, wherever you go, I go, and your God will be my God. And she refers to him by name, Yahweh. And she chases after Naomi, and they go together. Naomi realizes, I can't turn her away. She even says, not only am I going to go where you go, I'm going to go there, and wherever you're buried, I'm going to be buried beside you. She commits to Naomi to love her with that great chesed kind of love, that God's love and mercy and kindness. And so she's exhibiting that towards her mother-in-law. And they get there, and it's right when harvest is coming in. And so the next chapter, chapter 2, we actually pick it up, the next scene where 
Uh, Ruth is going out to glean from the fields. Those who are poor, who are without, can go around the fields. The Israelites have been told in the Old Testament to leave some on the ground and leave the edges of your fields for the poor and those without to come and to take some. So that's what she goes and does. And she ends up in the field of a man named Boaz, who we come to find out later is kin to Naomi. And part of what Naomi has been praying for and desiring for her is to find a husband. Well, there's this thing in the Old Testament called the kinsman redeemer. It's Goel in the Hebrew. And it's someone who's related to the husband that died should by default pick up and be that redeemer for that family so that that wife can have children so they can have heirs in the former husband's name that died. And so Naomi is hoping for that. Ruth just goes out to help her mama, her mother in love, I call it, because they become family. And she does that. She comes back and she tells about the man named Boaz who was so kind to her and gave her a lot of extra so that as Naomi left with a lot and came back empty, now she's getting full again. And this is basically where at the end, Ruth is told by Naomi, go back to that place and continue on taking up the edges getting all you can get, and come back here every night, and we will rejoice. So that's exactly what she did. Verse 23 of chapter 2 says, She kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, chapter 3, verse 1, we pick it up. And I want to read verse 1, and we're just going to talk for a minute. All right? Go look in your Bibles. Look at Ruth, chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, if you remember, that's her prayer she was asking God to do. Look back real quick, chapter 1. Look at verse 8, verse 9. We'll skip to verse 9. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. So she's talking about rest, but she's not talking about rest and just taking a break. She's talking about a more fulfilling kind of rest. Look at it again, chapter 3, verse 1. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? So she's praying to God for him to bring rest to her, and she may find that in having a husband. In other words, she'd find fulfillment, completion, and she'd find the end of her journey in that way that she'd be able to celebrate having a husband and therefore children. And here we see that Naomi is taking it upon herself even, saying, should I not seek rest for you? Shouldn't I go out and pursue that? It's important we understand this because look at the very last verse, verse 18 of chapter 3. Before we read I want you to see this. She replied at the end, this is Naomi again speaking, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out for the man, talking about Boaz, will not rest but will settle the matter today. This whole chapter is sandwiched in the idea of finding rest. And she's telling her here at the end, like, wait, he's not going to rest until you find rest today. This whole thing's about rest. So what does that mean for us? I'm not going to talk to you about a Sabbath today. That is a good way to rest. But I am going to talk to you about the biblical idea of rest. And it's basically this, that we who are left here on this earth right now will experience Times of isolation, times of emptiness, times of heartache and unfilling, famine, if you will, emotionally, physically, spiritually, intellectually, relationally, we will experience these things. But in the presence of God, it was never intended to be that way. 
In the garden, they had what was known as shalom, peace, rest. And then we go to the eternal rest, which doesn't mean we're just laying around all the time. It means that we are in our place of completion and being filled, receiving the redemption of God in Christ when we finally find everlasting peace and fullness in relationship with Him. And ultimately, when He comes back to take us home, it takes away all the sin, all the hurt, all the suffering, and we can truly enjoy rest with Him. Where we actually work, just so you know, if you go and read Revelation enough, you're going to see what the new heaven and new earth looks like. We'll be busy at times, but we will rest in our souls because we're with Him. Now, I don't know about you, but I am full of unrest most of the time. I have unrest because I live in a house with six children. I have unrest because I live in a world with sin. I have unrest because I fight against my flesh and the negative idea biblically of the world that rails against what I believe. And I fight against the enemy. We talked about taking up the armor of God in the last several weeks before all this. I feel like I am always full of unrest. Sometimes it's suffering, sometimes it's heartache, sometimes it's just exhaustion. But if you're like me, I yearn for the rest. Now, I will say this is not about the Sabbath, but if you don't get to have any kind of rest in the Lord during your week, you need to think about taking up the Sabbath. It is good, and it's made for man and woman. It's made for us to enjoy Him and trust in the Lord to sit back and recognize that the world will still keep going even if we stop what we're doing because he's the one that holds it together. But in the meantime, this idea of resting is central here. I want you to understand why. Apart from God, we never will have the true rest that fills our souls with peace. And you may think you've got some peace, but there will come times when you don't because this world is broken. And we are too. And we'll see that here. Ruth is a great story. I've subtitled it from ruin to redemption because it's our story. Individually, as the church, as the people of God, it is our story. So let's jump into the story in chapter 3, verse 1. And let's read it all the way through. I'm going to stop and make comments. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to unpack some of this stuff. So this eternal rest we're talking about is demonstrated in a really great way here. Look, verse 1 again. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking." But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Naomi's the one talking here. I think it's around 55 words in the Hebrew. And Ruth is listening. It speaks about five words in the Hebrew. Here, the mother-in-law is taking steps forward. She was depressed and out of it, and Ruth was going to take care of her, and now she comes home after a while, and Naomi is stepping up. Depression is starting to wane. She's starting to find her hope in the Lord again, and she sees an opportunity for Ruth. She's showing that great chesed by creating a path for Ruth to find that rest that she's been talking about. 
Now, I want to say something. I'm going to step away from the word for a minute because I want to say something where there are people who have talked about uh, in this great story about how some of it is written in such a way to be suggestive of some things that actually I don't believe happened because they're not there in the scripture. It doesn't line up with the character of these people. But there are people who talk about these things in here as being sexual in nature and that there are things that happen here where the two are known by one another and that they uncover the feet, which is a euphemism for uncovering other things, and that they lie together through the night. But this is not the people that we've been listening to and seeing for the last two chapters of the story. And so to make jumps like that is ridiculous, I believe. This is a story where, yes, there are people who in the history back in these days when they were winnowing which means they, they'd take and get all the grain and all the barley and wheat and they would put it together and they would then uh, put it on the threshing floor and they would have animals go around and stomp it. And they would gather it together and they would take it with a, like a shovel or a fork and they would throw it up in the air and the chaff, the extra, would blow away. That's why they had a breeze blowing on this area. They would actually set this up lower than Bethlehem because the breeze that would come down pretty regularly and they'd wait till that night or that afternoon they'd go down there and they would throw it up and the, the heavy stuff, the good stuff, would fall to the ground and the chaff would blow off and they would take all those different pieces and utilize them as they may and they'd pile it up. And as they got through it, they'd work well into the evening if the wind kept going. And you see here that, and we're going to see in a minute, Boaz does that. And Naomi knows he's going to do that because it's that time of year. And he sleeps there probably because they're going to get up early and continue on or maybe to protect his, his, uh, his, his barley and his wheat. And there were people, women specifically, who would go around in these areas because they knew people would be out on the threshing floor and they would try to you know, solicit them. And they would try to get their earnings for illicit behavior. But that's not Ruth. That's not what she's been told to do. When we read this story, I want you to understand that even though it talks about the suggestive kind of ideas, if you let your mind go there, we need to remember that these are people that are showing the steadfast love and mercy of God towards one another. These are people walking with the Lord. And although it, there is obviously probably some temptation there because they love one another already, they're attracted to one another, they abstain because they love God and each other with that steadfast love and mercy. And that's good for us to know. And I go on that diatribe because if you study it at all, you're going to see people that talk about it in that way. I just don't believe it's there. In fact, I wonder if the author, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, said things in a certain way to show that you don't have to go there. You know, that you, your mind can want to go there, but these two didn't, and that's the real way of the Lord. Let's pick it up and look at it in verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and, under, and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, why do you think she uncovered his feet? There's a couple of ideas out there in commentaries, but this is what I believe makes the most sense according to how things would have worked at that point. And uh, I can tell it by my own practical problems in life. Are you ready for some of the realness of life at Thomas Winborn's house? Okay, so I'm getting older, and uh, this year I asked for one Christmas present in, in particular. I asked for some, some shearling-lined house shoes. I did. Anybody else have some of those? Do you like them? Yeah? Okay. My feet are cold all the time. 
I feed her cold all the time. I don't know what it is, bad circulation in the house. Like, we keep it cooler anyway, but, I mean, we lived in the snow. You know, we should be okay with that. But uh, my feet are cold. And if I'm ever in the bed and some of my little lovely, wonderful children climb into bed with me, they tend to pull those covers right off of me, especially at the foot level. And I wake up in the middle of the night, my feet freezing. And there's no other reason I wake up except that my feet are freezing. You know what I mean? Like, that's the only reason why. And I rip those covers right back and I cover them up. They spin in the bed and they go right back to sleep. But that's exactly what Ruth is doing here. She's laying down at his feet. He's asleep. It's in the middle of the night. In fact, the word there in Hebrew means at midnight. And she uncovers his feet and lays down there. And because she knows as the winter, not winter, but the cold night chill comes, his feet are going to get cold and he's going to wake up. That's exactly what happens. Look at verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she replied. She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Notice before she said, I am a Moabite, right? Here to serve you. But now she says, I am Ruth. Things are different. We'll see that in a minute. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. In fact, she's saying, like, spread this corner of your garment over, but spread your wings. And why do we think it's wings here? Why is it translated that way? If you go right back over here to the the chapter before, you'll see that he talks about the fact that she put her hope in God, and that's part of what is so glorious about how she loves. So when you go back and read this, it says this in verse 12 of chapter 2, The Lord repay you, Boaz says, for what you have done, talking about taking care of Naomi, and a full reward be given you. Listen to that. And he's asking, and may the Lord give this, may a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. All right? So he says to her, I'm I'm praying over you, may the Lord give you a full reward for what you are doing because you have put yourself under the wings of Yahweh. And now we see over here, In verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. We see Naomi praying for God to bring rest to Ruth. And then Naomi seeks out to provide that rest. And then we see Ruth, who's had a prayer given over her that she would find full reward under God's wings. And then she goes out to seek the, the wings to cover her of her redeemer, who would be Boaz, right? So she's saying these things to him. She says, verse 10, he said to her, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Listen to the tenderness there. You have made this last kindness. There it is again, that has said, greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So she's been seen by the people there, a Moabite, the enemy, as now being a worthy woman from all those in town. And he says, you could have had some young men, but you didn't go for them. You could have had some rich men, but you didn't go for them. Instead, you come for me. And he knows what that is. That kindness is that he's the redeemer. She's doing that for Naomi. She's doing that to bring Naomi the lineage continuation for her. To bring the fulfillment for Naomi that she had lost. He says, verse 12, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. This is the part where it goes, you ready? 
You should probably do it with me. Dun, dun, dun. Right? We do that at my house a lot when the story turns, we're reading a story. The kids just do it on their own. They go, dun, 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 you know? And that's where we are. He says, I'll be, I will do this for you, but there's a redeemer closer than me. Whoa. Didn't Naomi know that? Probably so. But Boaz is the one that God led Ruth to, right? Boaz is the one that Naomi sees as the best fit, maybe. We don't know exactly why. The other one wasn't brought up yet, but he says, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. Man, listen to that steadfast love and mercy there, selflessness. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another and he said, let it not be known for the, that the woman came to the threshing floor. All right, so he knows that people might look at this as if something illicit has happened. He's trying to protect her reputation and also not mess up this, this quiet conversation they've had to, to be together because they want to be together. And he's pursuing that, but he has to do it the right way. So he wants to protect her and protect the possible outcome. And so he says, don't let it be known that she came to the threshing floor. He's thinking it out loud. In verse 15, it says, he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. This would have been this big garment that maybe women would have carried their babies in when they were working. And so she holds it out, not, not her dress, but like an, an overgarment. And she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Somewhere between 50 and 90 pounds, right, depending on the measures. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, seeing changes back home with Naomi, when she came to her mother-in-law, Listen to this. How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, listen to this. These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. In fact, in the Hebrew it says, you shall not go back empty to your mother-in-law. The same word that Naomi uses when she comes home and says, I went away full and I've come back empty. Look at all the fulfillment that's about to happen. You went away because you had no food. Now you've come back empty with no food to the city of bread. But you came back with nothing. And now through Boaz, your kinsman redeemer, God brought in chapter 2 food home. More than enough. With Ruth. And now, now we see the same idea here that Boaz has promised I will redeem you. I have to do this thing the right way, but if he will not do what he's supposed to do, then by the Lord, I will redeem you. But we don't even see it here. That's why there's such emphasis on this. We don't see it in the actual interactions between Boaz and Ruth. We see it with Ruth telling Naomi about something we didn't know had happened yet. So it's great emphasis on this statement. And he says, he said to her, which she relays here, you must not go back empty to your mother-in-law. You go back full. You go back with fullness to her. And the foreshadowing of the promise that's to come that we know is going to happen, that they're going to end up together and she's going to be full also because the fulfillment will happen, that Naomi will have an heir that will come through the line of this Moabite turned Israelite because of her faith in God, because of her seeking after the Lord, because of her exhibiting this great steadfast love and mercy of the Lord. She's going to be fulfilling the heir line, and God's going to bring that back through this kinsman redeemer, Boaz. 
is you're going back full. You're not going back empty to your mother-in-law. So she replied this in verse 18, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. I'm going to go get you some rest, Ruth. Go out and do these things, just like I tell you, that he's going to tell you what to do. And she goes out and she does the things trying to find her rest. She does the things that might have been seen as illicit if it was seen in the wrong eyes, but it wasn't. It was holy. And she comes back, and now she says, you've come back, and I've been seeking your rest, and I prayed for your rest, and now Boaz is not going to rest until he finishes this and fixes it all. So wait. Don't go now. Wait. This is a great part of the story. And what's so funny is the whole rest of the story, which has taken years and then weeks, is going to finish next week for us in one solitary day. And actually, these are the last words we see Ruth speaking. So what does it mean for us? What do we take away from this? I think all of us wish we could have that ultimate fulfillment. We've lost it in loved ones that have gone before us, young and old. We've not had it because of the choices that we've made, because of the sins in our own lives. We've not had it because of the sins of others. We've not had it in the context of our community of faith because of all kinds of various reasons that we put it on someone else. We have it in our own self or whatever the reasons are. We don't feel the fulfillment that, the fulfillment that we are supposed to have in Christ. And that's okay, but it's not okay because we're destined for it. We are made to enjoy it, and we know it's not there, and so we yearn for it to be made right. And we may put the smile on, and we may tell everybody we're okay, and we may tell ourselves that at night, but really we know there's brokenness in us and around us, and it hurts, and it's hard. But we can receive in our kinsman redeemer, who is Jesus, an eternal rest that is without measure, taste it today. We don't have to wait to taste it, and we'll have it in full when he comes and takes us home to the city of bread with the one who became the bread of life for us. And there are two aspects of receiving such eternal rest that we see even here in this story. The first one is this. We have to take initiative in seeking this rest. I don't know how God's providential hand and our seeking it out works together exactly, but both of those things have to happen. We have to seek it out, and God providentially does work in and through us. In fact, I would say it like this, the providence of God often works through the people of God. That's what's happening here. Naomi prays in verse, uh, or back in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, prays for Ruth to find that rest, right? And then Naomi takes it upon herself to go and find that rest for her. And it's not her going against God. This is not the story of Abraham trying to run off with the handmaiden to fix it. This is not sin. This is her stepping up to the plate to work with God and to do, and when she sees an opportunity to do something to help the prayer to be answered. You see, I think that when we pray asking God to do something, we should also be looking for opportunities to be a part of God's answering our very own prayers. We have some responsibility in this life to step into the right places and do the right things and love with the steadfast love and mercy and kindness of God, selflessly, sacrificially. And this taking initiative often includes taking bold risks. Look at this woman who goes out and can be 
We already know that she was told by Boaz to stay around his people so she wouldn't be abducted or killed or beat or raped or whatever could happen to her. We know this is what he's already talked about for her to be safe. And so she goes out in the night to get there, taking a risk there, taking a risk lying down at his feet that he might reject her thinking she's coming on to him, laying down at his feet thinking others might think that she's doing something illicit, but she knows that she's following someone who follows the Lord and she's trusting in Naomi and she's trusting in what she's already seen in Boaz and she goes and she does the right thing, remaining holy and does that. And listen, for us, Taking the initiative means we have to take bold risks, individually and as the church. This is part of what we do. I don't mean crazy things that are outside the box just to do crazy things, but we take bold risks for very important reasons. Let me give you two of them. One, we take a bold risk because the world is coming to a close and there are people who do not yet know Jesus. And we need to do whatever it takes to reach those people. We need to lay down our preferences, lay down our our, our things that we think are so important. If they don't jive with a mission, we need to lay it down and focus on whatever God's calling us to do and be obedient to that calling and take bold risk, even if it means risking something that we hold valuable, if it means the possibility of gaining something that God holds even more valuable. And individually, you may have to take some risks in order to walk with the Lord and stay on the path even in finding fulfillment for what he's calling you to do in your own life right now. And I don't know what that is, but I bet God, if he's been speaking to you lately about doing something or stopping doing something, he's pointing it into your heart right now, possibly. And our job is to be immediately obedient, taking a bold risk, whatever that means, or opening our mouths and taking a bold risk. We might offend somebody when we tell them about Jesus because it's more important they hear it than what they think about us. Taking bold risks. It doesn't mean stepping outside of God's moral law. It means becoming vulnerable in our pursuit of being obedient for God's glory and for the salvation of souls and for our joy. And there are risks because we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But we know if we act within God's will. See, this is the thing. Ruth didn't know what was going to happen. Naomi didn't know what was going to happen. Boaz doesn't know what's going to happen. What they know is, I'm going to do the right thing. And I'm going to step out and take a risk. You know, Boaz could have manipulated all this to where it worked out in his favor without doing the right thing to seek out this other kinsman redeemer. But he doesn't. He does the right thing. Naomi could have just stayed back and said, okay, Lord, I'm waiting for you. You've heard the joke, right, about the guy who does that? The waters are rising, the floodwaters, and he cries out to the Lord, Lord, come get me off this this house. I'm on my roof. I'm going to drown. And the Lord sends a boat. And he says, no, 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 I'm not going to use the boat. The Lord's going to come get me, Right? The boat goes on. Lord, please, aren't you going to help me? Aren't you going to help me? And the helicopter comes, and he won't get in. No, 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 I'm fine. The Lord's going to save me. And the helicopter flies away, and then he drowns. And he gets to heaven, and he asks God, what, what happened? He said, I tried to save you twice, right? And you would, not, you would not take the bold risk is my interpretation. You wouldn't do what I sent for you. See, God works in the providential working on this earth through people, through you through me, through us. He works through us. We get to be a part of it. Secondly, we have to pursue it and seek after it. And this is second. I only have two of them. Okay, you ready for the second one? This is it. We must trust in God and his promises and wait for him to bring us into his rest. Okay, so what do you mean? You must seek after it and then wait. 
Yes, I know it's confusing. You must live it out with all your might, and you must die daily. Right? You must work hard. In fact, this is the joke. I hesitate to say it, but for some, it's not a joking matter. But for me, it's a tertiary issue, and so I always make the joke that I'm going to preach the gospel like an Arminian or what's called a non-Calvinist, and I'm going to sleep like a Calvinist. You know why? I'm going to preach the gospel to everybody like it depends on me, and then I'm going to go to sleep knowing that God is truly sovereign. Okay? Because somehow or another, I'm supposed to work hard, and I'm supposed to trust in the sovereignty of God. And both those things work. I don't know how, but they do. And so it's our job to run fast, run hard, work it like it's not going to end anytime soon, work hard and long, and sleep when the time comes and the rest resting arms of our Savior, and wait on Him. See, ultimately, this rest is a gift from God. Ultimately, this rest is a gift from God, because Ruth just showed up at Boaz's place. She didn't know it was Boaz's place. Naomi didn't even know where she was going. Gift of God. Boaz, at the time, didn't know who she was, but cared for her just because of what he knew about her, and took care of her. He didn't know what was going to end up with this, but because of them, through them is going to come a son, and through him is going to come a son, and we're going to get down to David, and ultimately, the greatest kinsman redeemer will come through them, Jesus Christ, the only one that can fulfill all needs of us and bring total rest and total peace through the obedience of these people who took bold risk and worked hard to fulfill even their own prayers, but trusted in the Lord, and when the time came that they could do nothing else, they waited on the Lord. Waited on him. We can trust God because we know it's always his desire that we find fulfillment and rest in him. But Naomi was empty. Now the foreshadowing of being full. The promise of Ruth's kinsman redeemer foreshadows the gospel promise for our ultimate kinsman redeemer in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The fact that he came and gave himself up in his great love and mercy, his said for us, so that we could then find rest in him. And we cannot earn it, but we must strive and seek after him. We can never earn it, but he's earned it for us on the cross already. And that is our hope. And here's some good news. What a joy if we would do as Ruth and go sit at the feet of our Redeemer. Say, I'm here. Cover me. Cover us with your wings. Take me in. Redeem me. And here's the beautiful part. God will redeem those who come to him. He's providentially calling you there now. Even now as you sit here, it's not by chance. It's by his providential working. And his glory, he always always, always fulfills his promises. So we can trust in his promise that he will redeem us. So let's work with God and his providential working in our lives as we seek his eternal rest for others, just like Naomi, as we seek hard, as we work hard, taking bold risks for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of those who don't yet know him, for the sake of his church, for the sake of our obedience, and then let us trust him and wait on him to do what only he can do as he does it possibly even through us so that we can rejoice and give him glory and know that we got to be a part of his great plan, that he made a space for us. This is our mission, church. 
This is who we are to be. In such initiative, in seeking our rest and the rest of others, then waiting for God to do redeeming, trusting Him for the rest, for our rest and for their rest, this is the path path to our greatest joy. So I'm calling you out to do that today. Would you commit to God that you will do whatever He calls you to do? That We as a church will do whatever He calls us to do. Whatever He lays on us. And we already know what some of that is, just like Ruth and Naomi knew what some of that was. Go seek and save the lost. We can't save them. We can give them the gospel message, and God can save their souls. But let us go and speak the truth in love and mercy and grace. And let God do the rest of the hard work that we cannot do. Because we can't take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. But he's in that kind of business. We can't raise the dead and bring them to life. But that's exactly the kind of God we serve. He does that all the time. And he always fulfills his promises. So today I call you to faith, brothers and sisters. I call you to hope in our kinsman redeemer who is Jesus And I call you to prepare yourself by saying to the Lord, whatever you say, the answer is yes and amen. I will do it. So I want to pray for us. Before I do that, let me say this. If you've never, ever truly put yourself into a place where you've submitted to the yoke of Christ, that means that his way is relief from sin and shame and hurt and suffering, but it is hope in Jesus because he's already suffered for us. And his work is light and easy. If you've never submitted yourself to that, repented and believed in the gospel, turn from your sin and put your hope in Jesus and trust in him for your salvation, for your life, for your joy, then today can be the day of salvation for you. And I beg you to repent and believe in him today. This may be your last chance. We never know what will befall us. We never know when our moment will come, but we know today is a possibility of salvation from our Redeemer. I will be down here today, and when we're done, everybody's gone. I will pray with you, but you don't need to pray with me. You need to pray to God through Jesus by by His Spirit and ask Him to save you. I will be down here for you until everybody's gone today. Let us stand up now. I will pray, and we will sing. And then we'll end our time in an extra prayer at the end. Father, we thank you. We ask for your joy and your goodness as we pursue you. Lord, help us to be prepared to take bold risks for our joy and for your kingdom. Help us and prepare our hearts and give us what we need to be obedient. Lord, help us to be like Ruth and Boaz, to do what's right, even in the face of temptation. Help us to walk in holiness for your glory and for the witness you've given us. Help us to be ruthlessly seeking out whatever we have to do to fulfill what needs to be done, just like Naomi and Ruth. And let us be like Boaz, who's willing to do whatever it takes to redeem others. Lord, we trust you and we love you. And those that are here who do not not do that yet, we ask for you to save their souls today. In your providential, sovereign working, that you would pierce their hearts with the truth and give them faith. And they would turn and repent and believe in their own volition that they would do that. Because we don't understand it, Lord, but you've got it all figured out. We ask you to do what you set forth for their lives. Save them, Lord as we seek them. And Father, we ask all this for your great son Jesus' fame and his name to go everywhere through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.